the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. Welcome to the Instructor Podcast. As always, I am your splendid host, Terry Cook, and I'm delighted to be here, and even more delighted that you have chosen to listen. If you have listened before, you'll be familiar with the show, but if you haven't, if this is your first time checking out the Instructor Podcast, this is a show where I speak to leaders, experts, innovators, and game changers to look at ways that we can improve your driving school and potentially make you an even more awesome driving instructor. And that's what we're doing today. We've got a very, very unique episode today. It's an episode that's been requested a few times over the last 12 months or so. And I've always struggled to form it. I am basically recording today with two of my former pupils. We've got Charlotte, who actually appeared back on season three. And we've got Julia, who you can find on another podcast I do called Driving Test Tales. And they're sharing sharing their experience of learning to drive and, and offering some advice on potentially what I and what we as instructors can do better and, and what learners find important. And as I said, this is a, it's been something that's been requested a few times and I've struggled to form it. But thankfully, these two are awesome and they give some real insights and some real gems of wisdom in this. So definitely check out both of these interviews and, uh, and yeah, take note of some of the stuff they say because it's, it's really fascinating at, at certain points. But just before we dive into the show... I do just want to mention that is the awards season and we are, not we, the Instructor Podcast is up for awards with both the Intelligent Instructor and Go Roadie. And if you could spare a moment to go and vote for us, I would really appreciate it. Now, you can find links for this in the show notes or you can go to the websites for Go Roadie or Intelligent Instructor and you can uh, you can vote over there. Now, if you do not think that the Instructor Podcast deserves an award, that's completely fine. In which case, I would love it if you could tell me why. Drop me a message, tell me what you don't think is very good about this show, and I'll look to improve it. Alternatively, you can vote, but what I would really like you to do is vote regardless. Whether that's voting for me or someone else or whatever, show your appreciation to the people that are out there doing this stuff to help you. I really big. I'm a big believer in that, and uh, yeah, go and show your appreciation by voting in the awards. But you know, especially for the instructor podcast. Speaking of showing your appreciation, if you hang about to the end of the episode, you will get to hear someone showing their appreciation. You know full well that I like to give uh, read out one of my reviews at the end of the show, and today I've got a negative review for you. I'm going to read out a negative comment that recently appeared on my Facebook post. So if you hang about to the end, you will see that it's not just the the sunshine and rainbow reviews that I read is also a negative one. So hang back to the end of the show and you can see if you agree with this negative comment. But for now, well, let's get stuck in. And now making a second appearance on the Instructor Podcast, former pupil of mine, Charlotte Parker. How are we doing, Charlotte? Hi, I'm so pleased to be back. I feel like a little mini celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> mini celebrity. Well, there's the thing. If at the start, right back at the start of 2021, was one of your goals for this year to become a regular on a driving instructor podcast? You know what? It wasn't, but it should have been. It was <laughs> to tick off. 
I mean, it's, it's slightly surreal in a way when you think about it. But but yeah, no, I do appreciate you coming back. And um, this is an episode that has been requested a few times for a while by by different listeners, the, the pupil's perspective. And when I put it out there that I was going to do it, you were someone that was recommended a couple of times, um, going back to the episode you did on, on social media. And uh, I didn't tell you this, but it's actually uh, one of my most downloaded episodes ever. And until recently... Uh, when the DVSA come on, it had the highest first day downloads. So, uh, yes. My ego is now massive. <laughs> yes. So not a mini celebrity, medium celebrity, you might say. I might qualify for Jungle next year. <laughs> well, anyone can qualify for Jungle. Um all right, but uh, back to what we're doing today. So we're looking at the, the the pupil's perspective and how you found learning and that. And I'm just going to put a caveat in to begin with, which is feel free to say anything that you weren't happy with during our lessons. Um, I will not take offense, but I will edit it. But I, I do want to start off with the question of your overall learning experience. So not necessarily how you found me or the over instructor you had or anything like that, but kind of just your overall experience learning to drive, how you, how you found it, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. So like most people, when I turned 17, I thought, this is it. I'm going to learn to drive. It's going to be great. I'm going to go to McDonald's and drive to sixth form. Um, I started learning to drive that year and then I ran out of money. Basically, I had the choice between learning to drive more or going on holiday. And I'm someone who loves travel, so I chose the holiday. Um, I then didn't come back to learning to drive until the end of 2020, I think. Um, I was finishing uni the following year. I just decided okay, now it is time to to do this. Um, so it, it took me probably a little bit longer than most students do in the overall arc of learning to drive. I'd built up in my head that it was going to be a really unenjoyable experience and something that you just do it because everyone learns to drive. And I guess some lessons did feel like that when they're frustrating and you don't feel like you're making progress. But overall, I really liked learning to drive and it's still... When I drive my own car now, I still think back to like, how cool is it that I couldn't do this before? And now I can. And I'm so grateful for that. Of Like, it's a life skill, isn't it? Like, I think overall, driving turned out, learning to drive turned out better than I expected it to be. Awesome. I mean, just thinking back to when you first started with me, I think you were one of the people that had like one or two lessons with me before COVID and then COVID hit. In fact, if I remember rightly with you, um, I think you literally paid for like 20 hours, something like that. And then three days later, <laughs> we got totally... <laughs> uh, and yeah, so, but the, the pleasing thing there was you stayed with me and it would have been easy to say, oh, can I have a refund? And then because you'd ask for a refund, then when it comes back to lessons, you'd have been like, oh, well, I can't go back to Terry because I've asked for this refund, but... You know, we I think just in those first couple of lessons, we we built up a nice little rapport. So that was all good. In fact, I will ask you about that briefly. Um, obviously, you've nothing to compare it to, but how do you think that having COVID impacted your learning to drive? Not having COVID during COVID. Yeah, I, I think it's a difficult one. Like I said, I was a student in university at the time as well, so my whole learning ability in terms of learning to drive, studying for a degree, completely changed. There are a lot of soft skills that people learned around that. So online communication was a big one. Like before, I don't know what driving instructors were like, but pretty much all messaging was messaging on Facebook Messenger was what we were using. Um, for me, it was just another thing that you had to overcome. Like you say, it's I don't have anything to compare it to, but I'm Gen Z. I'm on 
number four of my lifetime so far. So yeah, it's a it's been a wild ride. <laughs> okay, um, but one thing that did work in your favour over COVID was you were doing private practice. Now, if I remember rightly, during the first period of COVID, you couldn't do private practice, but other bits I can't remember how it all worked out. But you were doing private practice, so I'm keen to ask you about that. What what were the benefits and possibly negatives that you found to do in private practice? Yeah, so I I bought myself my first car for my 21st birthday. I'd accepted that no one was going to surprise <laughs> me with a car. So I bought myself one. Um, it's still the car that I drive now. I absolutely love it. Um, private practice for me felt essential. I was in a really privileged position that I had a job while studying. So I was able to save money alongside that which I then was able to put obviously into learning to drive, but also private practice too. Um, My partner was the one who actually sat with me, which was a positive because obviously I've got a good relationship with him. I could communicate with him, but it's also a negative because he could already drive, but he wasn't that many years removed from learning to drive. So he still had thoughts in his mind about how he was taught to drive and what I should do in that sense. But obviously he's not an instructor. So I'd sometimes say, oh, this is how I've been doing it in my practice. And then he would be like, oh, but you could do it like this. That's how I did it. And then that would be two conflicting ways of doing it. And when you're first learning to drive, that's not always ideal because it's a bit overwhelming for a new driver to be told three different ways to do a hill start when they can't even do one properly. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's interesting because I'd not loaded it that way before, but you then go on and find your own way of doing it. That's kind of an amalgamation of everything you've been taught. And, you know, a lot of the time what goes goes on in the car, there isn't necessarily right or wrong. They're just subtle differences. And and thinking back, I think the way that you handled the the the, the private practice, I thought was really good because, you know, I can remember getting messages at, at random times, you know, I, I, just been doing this hill start Terry got stuck on the hill what advice would you give or you describe where you were is that something that you felt was important and maybe to the to obviously the instructors that were listening would you recommend that they keep open for their students so they can communicate about that private practice yeah I mean absolutely I think I don't know if we've mentioned it before we were recording or just as we've started but building up a good report with your students in the first few weeks of learning to drive with them is so key for the future relationship because that's what it is essentially like if you're a driving instructor it's a people skill that you're selling as well and knowing that if I was out and I got to a junction and I just had no idea why I'd done it wrong or someone had beeped me on a roundabout when I thought I was doing it really well and then being able to message you about that in the evening sometimes quite late at night because my private practice was normally after dark when the roads were quieter but it was really nice that I knew that you weren't going to be I don't know maybe annoyed that I was practicing and not with you because I suppose there's the risk that you could have seen that as money that you were missing out on or as an instructor it's money that you're missing out on but ultimately it meant that when I came to a lesson and we'd had that chat sort of in between about something that maybe had gone right or gone wrong we then had like a ground point to start that lesson on so it wasn't like we were coming in from exactly where we left off the week before there was sort of an up-to-date talk about what I've been doing in my own car I mean, yeah, just on that point, um, it is theoretically money that I would have gained from you. But the flip side of that is that you didn't need as many hours for me. So -hmm. therefore, I would be able to take our different student once you passed. So from my perspective, there's there's never an issue around there about private practice. In fact, it makes my job easier because I think we did this a little bit, actually, where we would 
practice something for the first time, then you would go and practice that in your car. So then when you came back to Western, they were like, oh, yeah, you're actually really good at this now. Right, next. But I think you touched on it then. That's one of the things we did in lessons as well. We'd, we'd always start off the lesson with a reflection on any driving you've done. Mm-hmm. And I think we used to finish with almost like a little plan or an idea of what you might do for the week. And it was never set in stone because mm-hmm. you might not have been able to drive or whatever. But do you think that was something that benefited you as well, just spending a bit of time on lessons and not feeling like your lesson had to be just driving for the solid two hours or whatever it was? Yeah, absolutely. I think I can really understand that if students aren't private, like don't have access to private cars and whatever, that they would probably want to drive for that full two hours just to make sure they're really maximizing every bit of the money that they're spending because learning to drive is expensive. I get it. But equally for me, I'm quite a reflective person in my own life. And I quite often need to look back on situations to understand, okay, I feel really nervous. For me, it was hill starts. I've never liked hill starts, even in my car now. I don't love it. Um, But for me, hill starts was a big thing. So I always needed to reflect, okay, why did that hill start go wrong? what could what do I need to do differently even if it's something really minor talking about that in the lesson made firstly like you share your problems it's easier for an instructor to help you with them but also mentally for yourself it's not you're not building this up as this thing that okay I can't do hill start so I'm never going to be able to do a hill start it's it's interesting you say that as well because I can remember on on our lessons you would just be telling me how you struggled with hill starts and not just in your car but in my car and then you just would do seven in a row and you'd just knock them all out of pack and it was never that you couldn't do them it was just that you didn't like them yeah and i I think that yeah Yeah. that that repetition worked for you but i think just touching back on the other thing you said there about uh the, the reflecting and the talking through stuff there are a lot of instructors that are worried that having a discussion about or conversation with a student isn't a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what would your take on that be? Because it wasn't just reflecting on your, the stuff you've done in private practice. We would pull up and we'd have conversations about whatever it was we were talking about. You know, What would your take on that be? My take on that is that if you're doing like the two-hour block lessons with someone, that's a lot of time to be spending in quite a small space like most people learn to drive in relatively small cars I don't know anyone who's learning in a limo but you're you're close to your instructor you're like physically and if you've not got the ability to talk to each other about obviously about driving first and foremostly but other things that are going on I think once Terry you said to me something about that you felt like a bit of a counsellor at the wheel as well which is so true because when you're driving you do just talk so you have to be able to have that relationship. And for some people, they won't want that. And that's fine. But for me, I'm a talker. That's why I'm back for another podcast episode. So I really needed to have an instructor that would listen to me and understand what I was saying, but also could just be a nice person and have a chat with if it was just about anything random. That was fine with me. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the key point there that not everyone will want to talk. Mm-hmm. So, And you mentioned before as well about rapport. So from a student's perspective, how important is it for you that you feel comfortable enough so that if you want to talk, you can, but if you don't want to talk, you don't have to, you know, you're not under any pressure to behave a certain way. How is, how important is it that as instructors, we make you feel that comfortable? I think that's so key to the learning journey. Everybody learns in their own way. And if as an instructor, you've got a preconceived idea of how you're going to do this for every single person, you're going to come up against so many students that just aren't going to fit that mold and you're going to really struggle I would assume, obviously it's my opinion, 
I would assume that you would really struggle to teach a large percentage of people because not everybody wants to have that same level of conversation. But I think for me, it was just really beneficial from start to finish that I felt whatever it was that I could talk to you about was there. And that was pretty much there from the first lesson. Like you were quite, I suppose the word vulnerable feels a bit weird to say that about your driving instructor, but you told me about yourself and things that you were interested in and I felt that I could do the same. So things like that you were vegan, like that can sometimes for some reason be a controversial, <laughs> which is mental to me. But and so I could chat to you about that because at the time I was um transitioning to being more vegetarian. So it was nice to kind of have that and just be able to be open with someone that you're spending a lot of time with is really important in life and when learning, I guess. Yeah, cool. Uh, and yeah, it, it does still puzzle me why people get offended when I say that I'm vegan. So I'm I'm not making you be vegan. I'm just saying I don't eat cows. It's fine. You don't have you can eat the cow. I'm not gonna. But yeah, I, I want to rewind right back though, right back to when you uh, first started lessons, or even before you started lessons. What can you remember? What your concerns were, or maybe worries were about learning to drive? Yeah. So I think. Um, right back before I started learning to drive when I was 17, my concern was I need to pass as quickly as possible because I want to drive before all my friends can drive. Which <laughs> is probably quite relatable for a lot of people around that age. But I just remember there were so many people being like, oh, I learned to drive in 100 hours. I learned to drive in 60 hours. And my brother is someone who did actually learn in about five hours, which he's just really naturally gifted at it for some reason. So I'd already built up in my head that I need to do this and I need to do it quickly. And I don't know why I was in such a rush. Um, clearly, I wasn't because I then chose a holiday over driving. <laughs> but when I came back to it a second time, my concerns were more around the actual logistics of driving. I didn't really know when I needed to change gear. I didn't really know how to do a hill start. And I built up this fear of going downhill towards the junction because... My previous instructor let me fly through one and it was a very scary experience. So, yeah, I, I kind of in my head, it hadn't it it shifted a lot from when I first wanted to learn to drive, which was I need to do this as quickly as possible. To when I came to learn to drive, the time I actually passed was more I want to be a good driver. And how do I do that and feel safe when driving? So uh, that's music to the ears of most driving instructors, is that? But I mean, ju just on that, a couple of things I want to touch on there. And I don't want to dwell on this just in case your previous instructor is listening. Um, hello, if he is. Um, but you mentioned about kind of being like run through a junction there. And how important is it for you when I suppose it would be applied to most students to feel safe, to feel like your instructor's got your back and isn't going to let you do anything completely disastrous? Yeah, I suppose like this is sort of the golden thread through the whole episode, but the communication that I had with my first instructor probably wasn't the best. Mostly on me, part I was rushing. I wanted to do this as quickly as possible. So I was just up for being pushed to the maximum of my ability every single lesson. But my instructor also didn't pick up on the fact when we had taken things too far. Um, not too far in the sense of dangerous. I'm sure it was always safe. But some lessons when you're doing a lot of things at once your brain reaches a capacity that it, it can't take in anymore that's it and I sort of that with that particular lesson I'd reached that point where I was like okay I'm done now I can't take in any more information I can't like I just want to drive back like I'm done and my instructor hadn't picked up on that I didn't communicate it we came to a junction that then felt unsafe 
and I didn't feel in control of the car. And that then built up this fear that lasted pretty much four years until I came to drive again. Um, less than that, but yeah, it wasn't ideal. Well, no, but it, it was still there. And I think that as instructors, I know I'm guilty of this sometimes, it's, it's easy to underestimate the way something like that might impact someone that's learning to drive because you know to me that might be an everyday occurrence where a student tries to kill me but to you it isn't as a learner so it's an element of sort of almost PTSD Mm -hmm. because I can remember on our first lesson asking you what concerns have you got around driving and you telling me that I can remember that story so and you're telling it now so it's clearly you know stuck in your brain so I do think it's important that as instructors, and I include myself in this, we we try to remember that stuff as, as well as you. But you mentioned some of your other concerns around sort of learning to drive that. And I, I appreciate that everyone's concerns are going to be different. But how important do you think it is from your perspective that those concerns are actually discussed either before the lesson or maybe even on the first lesson? Yeah, I think I think having had that discussion prior to learning to drive or prior, well, I think we were in the car at my very first lesson when we first had that conversation. And that was really great because it meant that when we came to actually conquering those things, if you like, you could be more hands-on with it. You didn't, it was more beneficial for you to talk me through exactly what we're doing, when and how, rather than sort of letting me figure it out because you knew that this was already a problem in my mind. So if you left it to me to figure it out, which sometimes was great for some of the things I learned to do, that was the best approach. But for others, I needed that more like hand-holding if you like yeah. not that you should hold your student's hand that'd be super weird <laughs> but <laughs> metaphorically no there was no actual hand-holding anyone listening there was no actual hand-holding metaphorical hand-holding only <laughs> but, but yeah no I, I think you're right um but again that's just my perspective I think I want to ask you another question uh around instructors now I appreciate this might be tricky for you to answer but I'd be intrigued by your answer um, and I will take it personally as well, just so you're aware. Uh, what advice would you offer to driving instructors that will listen? Now, I know that can be very broad and very general, but what advice would you offer to driving instructors? I think it goes back to the very first conversation you have with that student when it's booking in the lessons. Try and get to know what it is they want from driving. Like, are they driving because they're a mum who needs to do the school run? Are they someone who's learning to drive because they want to commute to work, which is an hour away? Because those are two different types of driving, city centre driving versus round the town driving. It's completely different. One is obviously more of a priority for someone than something else. I guess talk about how you're going to structure private driving if that is an option that that student has. So Terry and I would discuss what I'd been working on and what I was going to work on. Um, if you don't even know that a student is going to be doing that, it leaves you a little bit blindsided when they come to the lesson four weeks later and say, Oh, I don't need to do this anymore. I've done it in my own car. <laughs> That's a pretty difficult conversation to have at that point. Um, and also, I think Terry's got a lot of values that he really stands for. And when you work with someone as a student, professionally, whatever that relationship is, your values need to align. If you have that first lesson with a student and you think, I don't agree with the way they've spoken to me, the things they're telling me they want, that's okay. Tell them that. It's okay to say no to a client or potential business deal because you don't feel your values aligned and that kind of works both ways as well if you're a student and you don't like the instructor not on a on a personal level professional level it's okay that's fine yeah no I definitely agree with that and and I think I want to touch back on the first thing you said there about that 
the communication before the lesson because for me personally that's how I decide if I want to teach someone or not because I want those texts because it's not normally a phone call it's not only messages I want those messages swapped so I can as you've said learn why you want to drive and learn what your worries are and, and and get a feel for you because that's how I filter out who I work with because I don't want to spend 40 50 60 hours in a car with someone who I dislike um I don't necessarily have to like them but I don't I need to be enjoy delivering that lesson uh, and the same would apply obviously for you, for you as a learner so I think just on that because on my first lessons and I don't think I ever asked you this so I may not like the answer but um on our on my first lesson I tend to have quite an in-depth chat with students around the the concerns around lessons going forward and how I work and how I structure them I don't know if you can recall that first lesson but is that something that you were happy having that conversation or were you just kind of rolling your eyes, getting bored or did you appreciate that openness and honesty? No, I really appreciated that. Um, coming up to my first lesson, I <laughs> I went to an Aldi car park and practice a bit of just pulling off so that I didn't feel I was starting from square one again because I had had some previous lessons. I got a parking ticket for that. So I don't <laughs> recommend Aldi is not the place to go and practice that. Um I was able to tell you all the things I'd been up to sort of in my previous lessons the week before which was getting a parking ticket and it meant that going forward we had more of a structure not that you always need like a this is the four things we're going to do today but it meant that you kind of knew how my brain worked because I'm much more critical of myself than maybe some people are I'm really organized and it was important for me that that same structure was true in the lessons so I didn't mind having that chat it didn't feel like a waste of money, a waste of time. It felt that we'd had that initial chat, so the lessons going forward were more productive as a result. Yeah, uh, I appreciate that, and uh, I'll keep doing it then. Um, but thinking back to the lessons at the end of the lesson, I always, and I still do, but ask for feedback. I will generally say to you guys, is there anything I could have done better for you today, anything that would have made your lesson more enjoyable or more productive or anything like that? So when someone that you're paying to whether it's teacher or driver whatever the, the skill might be says that to you at the end of a lesson and says it sincerely mm-hmm. how does that sort of make you feel what what impact does that have on you I think firstly it reminds me as a student that my time is valued and that I'm not just you know paying the bills like they act, an instructor that actually cares about what they're doing is great if you're passionate about what you're doing that is always a better position to be in even if you're in like a low period, like a no passion is really hard to stick with. But if you continuously show kindness to people, they'll show it back. So when you ask people sincerely for feedback, you might get an answer that you don't love, but ultimately it makes you a better person and it makes your relationship with that person better going forward. So I think even if it is a concern and sometimes it's difficult to have, I guess it's more confrontational when you're in a car together and someone asks you that, but I suppose if your students know they can message you afterwards and they say, oh, I know everything was fine. And they go away and reflect for an hour and think, actually, really didn't like this part of the lesson. If they can then message you and tell you that, you know, next time, okay, I'm not going to do it like that. We'll do it a different way. Rather than not knowing your student doesn't like that, every week you go out and do the same roundabout because you think your student loves it there. And actually they're thinking, I hate this roundabout. I'm never, <laughs> I don't want to do this. That's a really niche example, but it applies to lots of situations that, if you know there's a problem, you can deal with it. If you don't know it's there, it's, well, it's going to be a problem. 
Although I think you knew, and I think all my students know, that if you tell me you don't like something, we're going to do it more. <laughs> That's kind of the rule. Um, but and look, I've tried really hard to stay away from anything remotely self-indulgent during this conversation, but I feel like I need to mention this because you actually brought it up before we started recording. And I think it's really relevant because uh, just before we started recording, you reminded me of this and I realized I'd stopped doing it. But it was a little phrase I have at the end of every lesson where I'd finish and I'd say, OK, any questions, concerns, issues, worries, troubles or problems? And that was kind of my little sign off phrase. And I just found it. I'd not really considered it, but you mentioned it. And I'm like, oh, you remember that? It's weird, the little things that stick with you. So, yeah, maybe anyone listening, get a sign-off phrase. I still <laughs> need to get one for the Instructor Podcast. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you here uh, was, and I'm going to be careful how I phrase this one, um, but at the minute there are awards. Uh, it's the awards season for for driving instructors. And there's two main ones, Intelligent Instructor and Go Roadie. And if anyone wants to vote for the Instructor Podcast, feel free. You know where to find them. Um, but one of the comments that I see a lot online around awards season is that we shouldn't be messaging our students or asking students to vote for us. Now, I messaged you because I no longer teach you because you don't need me because you pass your driving test with flying colours. But I messaged you, and the message was something along the lines of, Hi, Charlotte, hope you well. Uh, I've been nominated, or whatever. I forget the exact wording, but here's a link for the Intelligent Instructor Awards. If you think I had a positive impact, feel free to vote, but please don't feel obliged. It was something like that sort of a message. How much did that annoy you? Me <laughs> texting you that. How, you know, do you wish I hadn't done it? Did it not bother you? Yeah, so I actually work in digital marketing. So I kind of have two brains to apply to this. I've got my student perspective and then my professional marketer perspective, if you like. Um, from a student perspective, I'm on my phone all the time. Most people my age group are. You see one message out of 100. You click it and open it if you want to interact with it, you do. Otherwise, you don't reply. Ghosting. People ghosting in Generation Z, my generation, is so normal. <laughs> I reply, like. It's not going to weigh heavily on my mind that oh, I didn't reply to that person. I just thought, okay, I didn't reply. That for me isn't a problem. As a marketer, think about all the emails you receive from brands asking you to do something, buy something, sign up to something, subscribe to something. Chances are in 24 hours time, you can't name three emails from three brands that you got the day before. You've not left a lasting enough impression with a single message that forevermore your student is going to think, wow, that was really annoying. I never want to interact with that company brand driving instructor again. And I would even go as far to say that Terry sent me that initial message and it was a good time for me to do that. I did fill the form out. I was happy to do it. But I could have quite easily forgotten about it if Terry had sent me another message in a week's time and said, hey, I'm still really like to win this. I'd really like to hear your thoughts on it. And then message me again with a link. I wouldn't have found that annoying either from a marketing perspective and a student perspective. Because I was in the gym when I got that message and I could have just as easily been driving. I could have been cooking dinner. Like there's so many things that could have been happening that meant that at that moment I opened the message. So for me, I've opened it. I've read it. It goes away from my notifications, but I've not actioned it. Um, I would not find it annoying. And also word of mouth is your strongest form of marketing. So if you can remind students to think about their lessons with you, that's only a positive thing. Cool. Um, yeah, so anyone listening, don't be afraid to ask your students. And I would also just chuck in there that 
we all, even me, and I, I generally, like I said before, I work with students that I like. I don't work with people that I don't enjoy being in a car with. But even me, I'll get the odd troublesome students, should I say. Maybe don't send it to them. But I think on the whole, I think I would agree with you. Um, okay, cool. Is there anything else that, that you would like to touch on and maybe suggest to instructors or or anything like that before we before like you disappear? Um. Nothing major springs to mind. I think a big thing that is like we've just talked about so much is that communication skill. You're not just teaching someone to drive, you're building a relationship with that person that could go on for over a year. <laughs> if in that first lesson it doesn't feel right, you don't get on well. If you don't put that initial work in to build a relationship, the next year of your life could be quite miserable for two hours <laughs> um, or whatever it is you end up doing. So just ten, take a little bit of time, know that every student is going to be different. Um, and what works for one person doesn't always work for another, but that's okay. You can only you can only try with people. Um, you can never be too nice or too kind is my general motto. So you might as well be a good person. You might as well be a good person. There's the, the quote I'm taking from this show. But I am going to ask you one more question, actually, because I was very interested in what you said there about uh, stuff will always work for, for everyone. Um, because I will experiment a bit on lessons sometimes. I think, oh, let's try this or let's try this. So if – I can't remember if we did, but if on the driving lesson I said, oh, let's try this idea that I've got today, uh, and you were happy to try it, but it didn't work, would that bother you? Or would you take that as a – Oh, well, we tried that. It didn't work. We don't let's do it again. Yeah, I'd completely take that as, okay, we tried it. It didn't work. I think there's plenty of lessons where we were moving up to try new things and there's different ways of teaching. Terry's got so many car toys and whiteboards and notebooks and flashcards and everything in your car that there's going to be a way that works for everyone, but you have to find that. For me, I loved your artistic drawings. They were <laughs> But for some people, they don't want to pull over at the side of the road and watch you draw a roundabout. They just want to go and do the roundabout. Um, but if you don't experiment, you're not going to know that. And for some, most students, I would assume, don't know how they want to learn to drive because they've never done it before. So they're as much learning how to learn as you are learning how to teach. So I, uh, I'm just touched that you said it was artistic drawings uh, and I don't think there's a better note to finish on but so yeah I, I want to thank you for your time again your second appearance on the podcast uh, I want to try and find a way to get you on again just so we can make it a, a trilogy but uh, yeah big thank you for joining us tonight, Charlotte really appreciate it no worries thank you for having me uh, oh in fact do you want to tell everyone where they can go and follow your uh, your guinea pigs on Instagram yeah sorry if you've heard them squeaking away we're filming this in the evening and they've not been fed um They've got their own Instagram account. It's just at the guinea pig lady um, if you want to give them a follow. But then you can find me on LinkedIn. If you search Charlotte Parker Marketing, I'll come up. Awesome. Again, thank you for your time today. It's appreciated. No worries. And we'll be back in just a moment with the next interview with Julia Fierek. But just before we do, I'm just taking a slight pause in the show to give a shout out to our latest sign up to the Instructor Podcast Premium, David Owen. Now, David has recently signed up and he has got access to nearly 80 exclusive shows already over in that premium content bank. 
and he's got access to the two or three minimum shows that we put out every month, including the most recent one, which was with Bob Morton. We do an exclusive podcast every month called Being Better with Bob Morton. And this recent one, we answered a question from one of the premium members talking about troublesome students. And Bob also gave some excellent advice around judgmental language, how that can affect lessons and standard checks. As I said, there's nearly 80 exclusive shows over there covering everything from standard checks to coaching to building a better business. Loads of awesome stuff over there. But it's not just content. We also have some exclusive discounts for you. So if you sign up to the premium content for £10 a month, you will get a £10 discount off Bob Mart's clients that are learning. You will also get discounts from places like the ADI Doctor, the Guild of Mindful Drivers, Go Roadie, and Coach of the Geeks Turbo. So loads of discounts available over there as well. And we've already got some more exclusive stuff lined up to kick off in January. So now is the perfect time to sign up. And I say it's only £10 a month for the, all the content here. And if you sign up and you don't like it, tell me. And you can leave. And you'll pay your £10 and then you can get all the content for a month. And then you never have to come back and listen again. But that's unlikely to happen because everyone that signs up seems to love it and always comes back for more. So yeah, best place to find that, you can either find the link in the show notes or head over to www.theinstructedpodcast.com. Over there, head to the premium section. You can have a look at some of the exclusive shows we've got over there. And you can find links to sign up. So again, for £10 a month, you get all that awesome stuff. But for now, let's dive back into the show. And we're now joined by former student of mine, an all-round amazing human being, Julia Firek. How are we doing, Julia? Hi, fantastic. Yeah, thanks. No, uh, it's great to have you on because when I was kind of muting about getting this show done, uh, the Pupils Perspective show, uh, a few of my listeners over in my premium content had heard you on Driving Test Tales and, uh, and they requested you to come on. So you are a specially requested guest. Wow. I feel very honoured. Yeah, uh, you're working your way through all my podcasts, which is never a good thing. Uh, <laughs> but but this show, this episode is about the pupil's perspective. It's about how you found learning to drive and maybe what advice you would offer to instructors and, and you know, that side of it. So I think the first question I want to ask you is how you found the overall experience of learning to drive. So overall, honestly, I loved it. I was very nervous about it to begin with, but I think driving lessons became like the highlight of my week and I'd always look forward to them. If, if you know, an extra slot came available, I was always really excited that I had one a bit sooner than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, just like making that kind of progress. I think it's, it's great because every lesson you do feel like you're moving forward and it's one of those things where just a few hours makes a massive difference and you can really see yourself getting better I, I like that about it I, I want to dive straight into that why was it the highlight of your week what did you enjoy so much I mean obviously um you know I make everyone's highlight of the week but but what was it about <laughs> yeah, the, the company the company yeah. um I think yeah I think yeah I think I think the progress part of it and I think as you're growing up that so I, I learned to drive when I was what 20 and by then I already knew quite a few people who had learned and so there's this big anticipation of when you turn old enough and when are you going to learn to drive and it finally come to the time where it was my summer that was my time that was my opportunity 
and yeah it just felt like the start of a of like a new stage of of getting that kind of independence and and reaching that I guess extra level of maturity yeah and the other thing you mentioned there was um about like being offered an extra slot and that was one of the things I wanted to speak to you about in particular was the interaction we had um Mm -hmm. so as a as a student as someone that's learning to drive what was it like that you know like when you get a message from me saying mm-hmm. oh can we do an extra lesson or this is what i've got available this week do you want anything extra you know was that did you feel like you were being pestered or did you feel that uh it was just good communication no not not pestered at all honestly i, th- I think like the communication aspect is really important um because at the end of the day you are you're both reliant on each other the the instructor you know obviously needs the um needs the person who's learning to to be on on board on the same page to you know have everything coordinated so that everything runs smoothly and then obviously the the learner relies on their on their instructor and so I think it definitely has to be like a two-way process of you know not just the the learner going out and being like oh I I really want more lessons or I I, you know hello excuse me can I can I do this can I do that I think it it has to be be both of you and I, I think getting those kinds of extra extra offers I think really makes the the learner feel part of part of the entire plan yeah. and like they're being I guess just treated I suppose as an equal as like a yeah like that like the cooperation's there yeah and I think that's a big part of it it, it is an equal relationship there may be things that, that I know that you don't that I can teach you but I always learn from you guys as well so I think that you phrased it like that mm-hmm. as a sort of an equal I think is is key but I mean just in terms of that communication it was that's something that I thought that uh, came across really well fr- from you as well if I go right back to when you first started uh, I can remember you messaging me and basically asking to start lessons and I had no room I couldn't take anyone else on. I can remember saying to you, I will find room uh, simply because of the first message you sent me, because you sent me this quite a, a long message telling me mm-hmm. about where you're at, why you're learning to drive, um, your availability, you know, you kind of whole thing about this is someone that I want to work with. Uh, so I can remember before we even had this first lesson, we swapped quite a lot of messages. Um, how important to you is that initial communication, that initial interaction? Um, I think to me it was key I think by the fact that I my very first message I didn't want it to be you know one of those preset Facebook ones of what's your availability or just the ones that you click on and it automatically sends I wanted something that was a bit more personal a bit more about me because at the end of the day it's it's again it's a two-way choice the the learner has to choose the instructor but the instructor also has to choose the learner you know sometimes so yeah I think the, the communication was key and just making sure you know my my potential instructors knew knew where I was coming from knew what I was looking for so yeah I think it's I think it's really important to to get that kind of communication right nice and early I, I definitely agree with that I think that that communication is key and like I said it because you laid that that sort of openness and honesty to me I was able to be honest back and say look I don't know when I'll be able to fit you in um, but mm-hmm. I'll see what I can do. So in terms of me being honest with you and saying, you know, I don't know if I can, but I'll try my best and, and not necessarily committing to anything. How much did that sort of honesty back? How much, how valuable was that to you? 
honestly it meant a lot because especially that summer when I was learning starting to learn to drive or wanting to learn to drive I realized quite quickly that it was going to be quite hard to find an instructor instructors are in really high demand it was just after covid so all of a sudden things were open lessons were able to be run and so it was it was going to be a difficult process and some of the messages I received back from other instructors were just sorry no spaces whereas Terry actually you know you had the time and you, you put in the effort to you know give a bit of a longer reply and I think something I really valued was when you you offered me like the links to learning resources some yours and some, some not even related to you just websites other things that I could look at so that even if we didn't go ahead with any lessons together it still felt like you really wanted to facilitate my journey in learning even if it wasn't going to be with you I really appreciated that and I think the last thing I want to ask around that is that one of the things that, that I really believe in is that I only want to work with people that I want to work with. I don't want to mm -hmm. be stuck in a car for two, three, four hours, whatever it is, with someone that I don't enjoy teaching or, or working with. Mm -hmm. um, so because of that, I value that interaction. So from your perspective, do you think that that communication helps the, the student find the right instructor and vice versa? Oh, yeah, 100%. Because I... The, the way that I went about it, then I did contact a few instructors myself. I went on a trial lesson with a different instructor, planned one with a different one. And so it was like at one point, I think there were three potential instructors I could have gone with. And at the end of the day, the, this the skills being taught, we're all going to be of a you know high standard. And everyone was a, a good instructor. It was just the the kind of connection and, and relationship building aspect that I think I then decided to focus on so at the end of the day you're all you're all qualified to teach and you're going, all going to be great it's it's just about finding that person who again the, you know you want to spend that time learning with the person who you think will bring out the best in you the yeah the person who will make you look forward to those lessons rather than just you know have a more transactional um, relationship of you know teach and and off you go no relation like no no communication no talking nothing between the lessons just here you are here's two hours these are the skills off you go again yeah I, uh, yeah and that's not something I was looking for so for me it was important I think that was something else I wanted to ask you about because as you mentioned there you did have lessons with another instructor and, and at least one instructor um and I was aware of that and again we go back to that communication side you told me quite honestly mm -hmm. you said I, I want to pay for my first lesson I don't my memory is quite good for stuff like this i want to pay for my first lesson uh just by itself because i'm going to have lessons with someone else as well mm -hmm. and then i'll decide who i go with and then you know pay for like a block of lessons so i simply took that as exactly like you've just described which is well i want to see who's right for me mm -hmm. but i do sometimes read online from other instructors that they would perhaps take offense at that they don't want to share students or, or whatever but mm -hmm. from your perspective uh, do you believe that an instructor should take offence or do you think that that really is just you trying to find the right person for you? Yeah, I think definitely no offence meant by it and I don't think any offence should be taken because, as I said, yeah, I, I just wanted to find someone who I thought suited suited me as an individual, who had the, you know, the other the other skills, just the, the general, I, I suppose, connection with me so that I'd 
yeah I'd, I'd get the most out of the lessons and that the instructor would also I suppose enjoy them too yeah um yeah so definitely no offense meant I think and again I think communicating it all making sure everyone's you know that no one's taken aback no one's surprised if you know a, a student suddenly stops replying I, I mean that would be worst case scenario definitely wouldn't do that but um yeah and I think as well I I much prefer to get it right first time early on rather than commit to let's say 10 hours do the 10 hours not really enjoy them prolong them because let's say I'm not enjoying them so I'd, I'd probably want to space the lessons apart rather than have 10 hours a week with with someone who I just don't feel like I click with and then that would just make the the whole experience quite negative for both parties involved. And so I wanted to just get it right, you know, see the two hours, use that as an indication instead of, you know, trying out 10, 15 hours and then switching and then, you know, potentially not making the progress I could have made. Yeah. I mean, I've had it the opposite round as well, where I've had, I mean, admittedly not many, but I've had one or two people that have come to me and after that first lesson or first couple of lessons have gone elsewhere because I've not been right for them. And I've had it as well where I have said to a student, I don't think I'm the right instructor for you um, for whatever reason. How would you have taken that, do you think, if, I mean, obviously be massively disappointed because I'm an amazing human being, as we discussed <laughs> earlier, but if I'd have said to you, I'm sorry, Julia, I don't think I'm right for you because of X, Y, and Z. Would that have, would you have taken that as like a, a personal insult? Would you have taken that, well, clear, we're not right for each other, I'm going to move on? Yeah, I think it's obviously a difficult situation. I, th- I think as well, you know, a lot of us try and avoid confrontation. Things like that often feel quite awkward. But again, it's, it's a big commitment to make, a big time commitment. Um, you know, you get quite involved. And yeah, and so I think it is important to always respect each other's opinions about it. And since it's a you know a two-way exchange, then definitely as a student, if your instructor did turn around to you and say that, then it would probably be difficult to hear, of course. But yeah, I think it's just something you've got to got to roll with and and move on with, and and realize that it's probably also the best for you. The instructor has taught many many people before you, so they probably know know what's right. Yeah. Um, the other thing you mentioned just a little bit earlier that I wanted to touch back on was you mentioned about the resource, I can't say, the resources that I sent you. So there were things like the the app that I use where you can mm-hmm. book your lessons, that kind of stuff. Yeah. There was Theory Test Pro. Uh, I think I sent you my podcasts and I sent mm-hmm. you some other stuff that weren't wasn't mine either, but there were you know links or stuff, so not all just yeah. my stuff. How important to you was that, even if you didn't use it all? But to to have the feeling that, oh, I've got this app where I can see where my lessons are, I can see mm-hmm. where my payments are, and I've got all this other stuff. How how did that make you as a learner feel? Yeah, honestly, just it just makes you feel very involved. Um, makes you feel like you've got more of a say and you know, more ownership over your own lessons and more input into it all. It's also, I think, good to do things behind the scenes when you're not in a car, when you're not, you know, during the lesson practicing, whatever. Um, just knowing that you do have options to keep making progress, even if, for example, there is a busy time and you can't quite make uh, schedules fit, then, you know, during times like that, knowing that you do have resources to go to, I think is is really reassuring. Do you think that, 
Again, I appreciate this is just your opinion and everyone's mm-hmm. different, but do you think that's something that most, if not all, instructors should be offering so that they can just say, look, here's some stuff you can do this between lessons? Yeah, honestly, I think even if instructors don't have their own resources that they've created, I think, you know, re- like directing students to resources that have been created by other people is honestly just as valuable I think I don't know if like support support other creators stuff like that yeah um definitely and things yeah things like the apps definitely definitely a good thing to to have yeah I mean I I would second that because um I'm not brilliant at creating videos but there are lots of people that are so I don't need to go and make mm-hmm. videos I can send you links to theirs um I'm better at the audio yeah. stuff <laughs> face for radio you might say um <laughs> But I also just wanted to touch a little bit on on uh, the theory, just while we'll mention the resources mm-hmm. there, because, again, that was something where the communication came into it, because I've always said to my students, I'll very, very probably said it to you, that you can message me anytime you want. You can message me at three in the morning, just don't expect a reply back. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I haven't replied back in a couple of days, feel free to chase me up. And I can remember you doing your theory, and having a really good approach to that because you would be sending me screenshots of questions mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And there was some where that could text you an answer. There was somewhere I might have to send you a voice note. And then there were others where we went yeah. through it in the car because it was more complicated. So again, if we're talking about the communication, how was that communication around the theory for you? How important was that? I think to me, it was really important. Um, yeah. Just, I, I suppose like getting the answers was, was great, but having someone to, explain them to you who actually knows you as a driver I think that was really valuable because you know sometimes these apps do you know refer you back to the um to the what's it called the driving <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know you get the official paperwork on it it tells you the answer that you, you could just wrote learn it I suppose just memorize it but I think what's always better is knowing that you can go to your instructor ask the question and they can relate it back to, for example, routes that you've been on together or, you know, when you're actually on the drive, pointing things out, pointing out, oh, this is the the kind of sign that you saw in your in your um, question that you were confused about. Well, these, are, these are the road markings. This is how the road markings change. And so, and that's not something you can just get from, from Googling it. I think that's a, a great place where your instructor can come in and, and actually talk to you about it. So, I mean, from my experience as an instructor, not every student wants help with a theory. Uh, a lot of them don't have the same mm-hmm. attitude towards the theory that you did. They've not always got the best attitude. But how important do you think it is, as instructors, we provide that option so that we are willing to talk to you about mm-hmm. it, we are willing to help you? No, I, I, honestly, I, I think it's crucial. Um, I think it's it's obviously a lot nicer for the for the student to know that, you know, if if, if they can pass, the the theory test you know first time if if they feel like they're making faster progress with it thanks to help I think that's always really good um something else I wanted to mention that that you that I remember you doing is posting on social media like a little challenge for the day or for the week about the driving theory test of you know can you beat my score and I think that kind of like friendly competition I, I think that was really good. I think that was really encouraging and I, I suppose reminding students that it is it is still a thing and you do still have to keep on top of it. 
it was uh, it's annoying because I, I hadn't done that for a little while actually, but I used to do the a, fa- a mock fairy test every Friday, and mm-hmm. as you said, post a score <laughs> up and say can he be And I always got forty nine because but any time I got to a test or bored and I want it over with, and I just rush through <laughs> questions. There are always one or two I got wrong because I wasn't paying attention, and that's how you fail your fairy test uh, by not paying attention and rushing it. But you didn't. You passed first time and got annoyed with yourself because you only finished in the top five percent in the UK <laughs> rather than the top one percent or whatever it was, but. I did want to speak to you a little bit as well about the communication in lessons in the mm-hmm. sense of you were very, very nervous learning to drive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, was it, oh God, was your favourite phrase? Mm-hmm. Um, when I would say we're going to take the next left and, oh God, <laughs> um, or oh, there's a man seven miles down the road, oh God. <laughs> but you would often come to lessons with almost like a new worry, a new concern, mm-hmm. And you would want to get that out of your system at the start of the lesson. You know, it, whether that was a two-minute conversation or a 20-minute conversation, yeah. you would have, a, like I say, almost a new concern and, and and feel like you just need to vent, get it out of your system, and then would go and have an awesome lesson. Mm-hmm. So being able to have that option at the start of a lesson to talk about your concern or get it off your chest, how important was that to you? Yeah, so as you said, I was a very nervous um very nervous beginner and yeah I would often come to the lesson thinking oh you know I started overthinking this thing or when I was in the car and someone else was driving I saw them doing so and so and and I just thought oh my god I wouldn't have known what to do and so having that time I think definitely got my confidence up and I, I think there's such like a mental aspect to driving and that if you're not in the right mind mindset um then it's just not going to go well. And I think I do actually remember one lesson when we got to the top of a hill, going to do a, a hill start. And I just, I, I just remember not really feeling it. I think I needed a few minutes to just compose myself. Then we set off, went down this horrible one-way street or something. It was awful. It was really windy, loads of parked cars. And then I think, Terry, you noticed that I was just not really with it. I was, I was a little bit too anxious about it. And so I remember we stopped got out of the car, took a few deep breaths, spoke about it, just had a conversation. What what was it on my mind? You know, what was that mental block for me? Because physically I I could do it. You know, I, I could, I could change gears when I needed to. I knew, you know, when to press the clutch, but for some reason it just wasn't adding up because the mental part wasn't quite right. And so having those conversations, both at the start of the lessons and even sometimes in the middle, and then I remember we always did a recap at the end as well, just a conversation about what we've achieved that lesson, what we've done that day and what I want to take away from it. I think just having those constant conversations in between the actual bits of driving, I thought was was fantastic. Honestly, I think it was one of the the best things that that could have been done, knowing that there's there's more than just driving nonstop. I think yeah. the, the key takeaway from there for me is that, it was all it was never mandated. You know, there would be times when we'd pull up when we might pull up for mm-hmm. 30 seconds. There were times we'd pull up, and I said you might pull up for 20 minutes, but mm-hmm. it was what you needed at the time. So I used to be quite uh nervous about stuff like that when I first started, in the oh god, if I speak to the student now, are they just gonna think I'm wasting the time and wasting their money? And I was always scared, but I found quite quick that if I just do it as appropriate mm-hmm. for the student, as you just said, it works. So would you just advise instructors to test that water a little bit and see what works for each student? 
Yeah, honestly, I would. I would, and I, I'd definitely say to not be scared of pulling over for a little bit longer to have those conversations and, you know, to have that kind of mental reset sometimes if a student needs it. Yeah, because I suppose it is sometimes quite scary from, from both parties. Sometimes as a student, when you are, you know, not on the go uh, for a while in a lesson, then you might start thinking, oh, you know, why aren't we driving? But honestly, I, th- I think sometimes with the mental blockades, um, the best way to make the progress in the practical side is to stop, to slow down, talk about something. And yeah, that's entirely based off off the student and yeah I suppose as an instructor just being receptive to that as you get to know your student reading the cues getting to know whether the oh god as I (laughs) used to say is actually you know anything to be worried about is it a reason to stop is it a reason to to have that reset or or are they just being dramatic (laughs) yeah I think there was the odd dramatic occasion (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah the other thing I want to touch on with you is uh private practice because there is a big Mm -hmm. campaign at the minute from the DVSA to encourage where possible private practice um and the other student I had on on this episode Charlotte she had an awful lot of private practice um Mm -hmm. she had her own car she was out with a partner quite a lot driving all over the place whereas you on the other side had none mm-hmm. and the way you learned to drive was I don't necessarily want to say unique but but definitely not overly common and we kind of had a a big block of lessons over a few weeks then you disappeared off to Poland for a month and yep. then you came back and we had another block of lessons for a few weeks and you disappeared to Cambridge for for a few months then you come back yeah. and all block of lessons and you test so I know you can't necessarily make a direct comparison because you've nothing to compare it to but I'd be interested in your thoughts on private practice do you think that not having private practice hampered you do you think it benefited you what what was the impact there do you think um yeah so honestly again this is probably something that did un- add to my anxiety because of the big push to do you know private learning um and yeah I think it definitely made me quite worried I thought that I'll definitely be disadvantaged that um something something else I was worried about is that I'll end up spending I suppose a lot more money and time in paid lessons because I don't have the the private practice I kind of thought well am I going to have to do the number of hours of private practice as a as a lesson instead I was quite worried about it but honestly in the end I think it all turned out pretty fine yeah I didn't I had I had certain periods where I wouldn't drive a car at all for two months and then I'd come back get a few lessons again not do any practice at home because it just wasn't feasible my my parents only had a an automatic car and I, I thought it was really valuable to learn on a manual I didn't want to get confused and again so I think that for me there was a moment of debating whether it's worth getting insured on an automatic car, even though I'm learning on a manual. And I think that, again, was was something that I needed to, to decide whether I wanted to do, of balancing, switching, you know, the method of driving in order to just get those hours on the road in. I wasn't quite sure what to do. In the end, I just decided to not get any of the private practice in. Um, I, I felt like we were making good enough progress. I think at one point Terry advised me to do some visualization. So in the times that I can't, you know, drive or you know when I'm when I'm not around to get lessons, to just sit, close my eyes, and imagine that I'm driving. So I did that a few times. Honestly, I, I think that helped too. Um, 
I think it it really was a quite a reasonable suggestion in the end. Um, it, it sounds <laughs> woo woo, but it works. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, so I think I think there's probably a much bigger, um, I guess, like a bigger fuss about private lessons in you know in what people imagined and in, in actual fact there is. I think in actual fact they, you know, I'm I'm sure they they help, but I've also heard of people learning quite bad. Um, bad habits from non-instructor instructors. <laughs> uh, yeah, so honestly, I think there are definitely some pros and cons. And in the end, I was completely fine without without any. Do you think that much like a lot about what we've spoken today, do you think it comes down to the individual? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, sometimes obviously it's, it's not down to the individual, you know, whether they just have access or not. Um, but I think definitely not building it up as a massive barrier if that person doesn't have that kind of opportunity to get any private practice in. Yeah. I think, again, with the things you mentioned there, that, that falls into that communication bracket. You know, you mentioned about going to Poland and going to Cambridge and whatnot. It was like I knew that from my first few messages we sent mm-hmm. so I was able to plan that into my lessons and because we'd had that that open discussion and you asked me about the, the private practice side I think I can remember my advice which was do what's right for you you know you an awful mm-hmm. lot better than I know you if yeah. you think private practice will work do it and in the end you decided as you said because it was automatic that's going to cloud your mind a mm-hmm. bit too much yeah um, but yeah I think it yeah it does come down to individual the other thing that comes down to individual, and I asked this same question to Charlotte, so I'm going to be intrigued to see if your answer mm-hmm. is the same or different, but uh, the Driving Instructor Awards, um, yeah. there are some around this time every year, and I see lots of different comments from instructors about them on different Facebook groups. One of the common ones is about the sort of the Instructor of the Year Award, where you have to kind of message your students and say, look, you know, this is, I've been nominated for this, you can vote mm-hmm. for me here. How annoying is it for you that when I message you randomly out of the blue and say, if uh, I've had a positive impact on your driving, here's a link, you can go and vote for me here, but don't feel obliged. How annoying is that on the scale? <laughs> you know, how annoying is that? Honestly, not annoying at all. I really think I'm a massive benefit of learning to to drive is is making that connection with your driving instructor and i think given the you know number of hours you spend in the car together together given the fact that your you know your lives are literally in each other's hands or feet um then um then yeah it's uh to me it would be weird to completely lose contact with your driving instructor after you've passed especially since driving isn't just you know up to the the driving test that continues after and so I think definitely, you know, keeping in touch with your instructor is great. And and hearing about things like the Driving Instructor Awards, again, I wouldn't have been able to hear about that otherwise. Maybe it's something I would have known about if I was a current student. And um, just because I'm a a previous student doesn't mean I don't want to be involved in that now. Um, Yeah, honestly, I I was just glad to, to be able to be a part of it and be able to, you know, fill whatever's I can fill out um at the end of the day I think it's just good to celebrate people and celebrate achievements and celebrate people who have you know made positive impacts um so honestly I think there's absolutely no shame in 
in saying, oh, this is this is going on. If if you'd like to, you know, take part as well, or if if you'd like to, you know, contribute to any voting. Um, yeah, I I just think it's great. Yeah. Um, not always so great when your student texts you back immediately and says, oh, yeah, I've put these negative comments about you and said how <laughs> you nearly killed us all the time. That's not always <laughs> ideal. But I would also chuck in that I suppose when uh, you're one of my learners, you also get messages saying, will you come and appear on a podcast with me? Um, that then driving to his tails and gets downloaded 28,000 times. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, which one of them is worse? I'll let you decide. Um, so kind of the final question I want to ask you is what, you know, if you had a friend that was um, taking up driving lessons, what qualities would you ask them to look for in a in a driving instructor? Do you think? Yeah, so I think I'd um, I'd tell them to find someone who makes sure that they're in the right mindset when they're driving. To get someone who, you know, even if there doesn't need to be a you know a, a word for it or you know a way to describe it, just someone who you can form a connection with, so that when you're in the car. The atmosphere is positive and you just it just feels right I think some I think that's why I I wanted to try out some lessons instead of you know just trying to to judge it straight away then yeah just trying it out to see how it feels and I think sometimes just knowing how it feels and how you feel while you're in the car um how you feel when you you've left how you how you feel imagining more lessons with that person I think that's honestly a much better better measure than any kind of adjectives because every instructor is going to be different and every student's different and so different people suit different instructors and so honestly I think just trusting your instinct trusting how you feel after spending time with the person I think is the is the best measure of it awesome uh, anything else you'd like to cover while you're on here any final words of advice for driving instructors do you think oh yeah I suppose have fun with it it's it's always a lot nicer for both of you if the if the atmosphere is you know positive like that see it as another relationship to build up because it is of course like a working relationship and both of you need to be involved in it both of you need to be you know on the same page about about the driving about the you know what you want to achieve each lesson and so having that kind of communication and yeah I think that's that's everything Awesome. Well, I do appreciate you joining me today for this episode of the Instructor Podcast. So, yeah, thank you for your time. It's been awesome. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you for having me. So, big thank you to both Charlotte and Julia there for joining me on this podcast. I know that as learners, to go and record on an Instructor Podcast, I can imagine that's a little bit daunting. So, I appreciate both of them joining me. I learned a lot. I hope you learned a lot as well. And as always, always welcome feedback so feel free to let me know what you think about the show and speaking of what you think about the show i like to uh, read out some of my feedback that i get and i'm going to read out the negative comments this actually goes back to last week's episode with the coaching crowd and i got a lovely comment on my post on facebook from a chap called michael hollingberry whose comment was i found this interview a turn off now, I'm not sure whether that means he didn't enjoy the interview or whether he was hoping to be aroused and then found it unarousing. I'm not sure which one of those he meant. I did ask him to clarify. I replied with, that's a shame. What could I have done better in your opinion? Unfortunately, he didn't then reply to that. So a bit of a neg negative comment about last week's episode. However, there were also some positive. 
So Phil Cowley said he loved the episode and instantly subscribed to the coaching crowd. Lee Jowett said, such a great episode, loved the force on the test. The DVSA want ADIs to create responsible drivers, but want ADIs to be 100% responsible for the decision-making regarding test, rather than it being part of the process of learning and what could be learned about overconfidence or using the experience to help the pupil reevaluate their beliefs. Great job at facilitating the discussion as always. And Les Hopkinson said, great episode, Terry. Thanks for taking the time to speak to Zoe and Joe and get them to talk about coaching relating to our industry. So the positive clearly far outweighing the bad. And if you've got any feedback, you are welcome to leave it as a review on Apple or on Facebook or comments on my post. I will happily read out the negative and the positive. I quite enjoy doing this at the end of the shows. But uh, yeah, just from me, just want to take a moment to thank you for listening today. Uh, it's a show that, like I said at the start, I did have a bit of a trouble formatting it in my brain, quite how I wanted it to go, but I really enjoyed the end of it, and I hope you guys did too. So I so hope you guys have an awesome week, and I'll catch you soon. The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them.